Welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. Here you'll learn about how to grow your home building, remodeling, or contracting business. If you're not growing, you're moving backward. So we want you to always be in growth mode. This podcast has really turned into a movement and community of people who want to grow personally and professionally. Here we bring you some of the best marketing, sales, and business minds in the industry so you can elevate your business. All right, let's dive into the show. Hey guys, welcome back. This is episode 70 of the growth series. And in this episode, I go through four books that I read in 2019 that stood out to me and had an impact on the way I think or my life in some way. And so I hope that you get some new ideas, some new ways of thinking, and you can take those into 2020. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to Builder Funnel Radio. This is episode 70 and another edition of the growth series. Now, as some of you may know, I'm an avid reader. I shoot for about 35 to 50 books every year, and I tend to stay in kind of that self-improvement space. So it could be marketing, leadership, sales, uh, investing, real estate. It kind of takes me down some interesting turns sometimes, so you dive into psychology and um, sometimes health and fitness, but generally just try to continue to learn and expose myself to new ideas and, and places that. I know I have a lot more to, to uncover, I guess, in terms of what's out there. And so I've been reading pretty frequently and, and actively since about 2010, but I didn't actually start tracking all the books that I was reading until about 2015. And I realized I went back, I've got a Trello board where I keep track of all those books and which ones I read and in which months and realized that I'm at about 200 uh, books since that time I started tracking. And so I'm a huge believer in continuous learning, continuous education, and we do that here at Builder Funnel as well. We read a book as a team. We meet once a month and talk about that and share and exchange a lot of great ideas. And then usually what comes out of that is something will click and we'll end up implementing that in some way within the company. And so it's been really cool to take that and just share that love of learning with the team as well. And so what I wanted to do for today was actually go through four books that stood out to me, ones that I read in 2019, and throw those out as recommendations for you guys going into 2020. Um, They cover kind of a a wide range of topics, but they all kind of stood out to me in one way or another, had an impact on me. So I'm going to jump in and we'll go through four of those books that I really liked, and I'll give you kind of some pull quotes and, and my take on those. Book number one was Burr Investing. So that's B with uh, four R's at the end of it. And this was all about real estate investing. And so the acronym there stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and then repeat. So the concept is that you buy a property and once you've bought it, then you rehab it. So you put some money into it, fixing it up. And instead of flipping it, you rent it out. And then you go, you get it appraised. And the goal being that you refinance it and you pull that initial equity out of the deal and then you repeat the process. And so that can be a fast way to build up properties that you're acquiring as rentals. And so a couple of the key points from that 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 I pulled out of the book was really making sure that when you go to buy the property, you have a good sense of one, how much money you'll have to put into it in terms of down payment, but then also rehab costs. 
And then two, having a really good sense of what you think it will appraise for, because that will all come down to uh, what you can refinance and pull cash out of it. And so the goal is, you know, if you had an example, maybe you put 50 grand into a property to, to buy it, and then you had to put another 50 into it. Uh, the idea being that you would want to build in enough equity that after you did a refi, you're able to get all of your initial capital back out or close to it. And then you also want to make sure that at that point, the property is cash flowing so that you're not uh, underwater there. So the ideal outcome being you have your cash back and you're maybe uh, breaking even or cash flowing, you know, 50, 100, couple hundred bucks a month on that property. And then you can go and repeat that process with your initial capital. So you don't necessarily have to keep coming up with all that cash. If you can just save up the cash that initial time, then you can repeat it. Now, this was an interesting one because I've been investing in real estate since 2010. And this strategy really appealed to me and it really clicked with me, but it also, I don't know if it really aligns with my risk profile because the, the other component here is let's say you do all that and it works pretty effectively and you come out with a property uh, if it's if it's not cash flowing or you did your math wrong and you weren't able to pull out your capital, then now you've got a property that maybe is a little bit tight in terms of, um, you know, cash flow perspective. And maybe you're uh, losing money on that and you're having to put more into it. Or maybe you totally missed the appraisal amount and you weren't able to pull your cash back out of it in the way you thought, then you don't have access to that that capital. And so. Uh, I really like the strategy. I feel like if you can dial in those numbers, it makes a lot of sense. And I think you can pair kind of a version of this strategy with a more long-term strategy. So if you're picking up properties and uh, looking at buying cash flowing properties, maybe leaving a little more equity in the deal so that you ensure uh, proper cash flow, then that could be maybe some middle ground there. And so uh, it didn't necessarily cause me to change what I'm doing, but it did kind of open my eyes as to the possibility of what they talked about as the velocity of money. And so if you can move your money through faster, you can really accelerate the process. So that was an interesting one. I uh, just wanted to share that one with you guys. Book number two was shifting into more of the marketing arena. And so this one was the 22 Immutable Laws of Branding. This is written by Al and Laura Reese. And Al Reese has been in the kind of branding space, marketing, positioning, uh, ad agency world for many, many years and has written several books. And so this one really did a, a deep dive into branding and he breaks down these 22 laws. I'm not going to go over all 22 of them with you today, but I did want to talk about some of these concepts because I think they're really powerful as we think about all of our own businesses in how we're thinking about lead generation, but then branding and marketing. And so there's, uh, there's definitely a big difference. And if you haven't listened to my uh, previous podcast on branding, go back a few episodes and check that one out as well, if you kind of want to do a deeper dive. But um, I'll pull out a couple of quotes here. One was, you know, marketing is brand building. And the two concepts are so inextricably linked that it's impossible to separate them. Furthermore, since everything a company does can contribute to the brand building process, 
marketing is not a function that can be considered in isolation. And I love this because we've been talking a lot about this here lately, which is pretty much everything is marketing. So if you think about um, your traditional channels, you know, marketing channels, you think TV, radio, internet, blog, social media, you know, video, podcasts, all these communication channels. But then if you think about uh, the sales individual, they're still marketing because they're putting out an impression in that prospect's mind when you meet with them in their home, when you talk to them on the phone for the first time to pre-qualify them. Those are all impressions that they're getting of your brand and of your company. Even after the sale, when they're going through and actually experiencing building a home, remodeling a home with you, every touch point is impacting how they view your brand, either in a positive way or a negative way. And then also, if it is in a positive way, how are they perceiving it? Is it, oh man, these guys are always on schedule. And so that kind of is a thought that gets associated with your company and your brand. And so basically everything that's going on, every touch point with the end consumer and the end customer connects back to marketing and branding. And so I really thought that was a powerful way to think about it is that marketing kind of sits on top across all the functions of your business, including sales and operations and even finance, you know, sending invoices and different things like that. Like those are all touches with uh, partners, vendors, and the end customer. So good things to think about there in terms of how you approach branding and thinking about all those touch points with uh, partners, vendors, and customers. There's also the concept of different line extensions. So there was another section of the book that talked about uh, like Chevrolet has 10 separate car models. Ford has eight. Um, So they said that's one of the reasons Ford outsells Chevrolet. So they said the power of brand is inversely proportional to its scope. So why does Chevy make all the different models? Because they want to sell more cars. And in the short term, that works. But in the long term, the model expansion undermines the brand name in the mind of the consumer. And so the idea is that a brand becomes a lot stronger when you focus. And I see this a lot in our industry is that maybe you're a remodeling company and you do interior remodeling and you do kitchens and you do baths, but then you also do additions and then maybe you do a little bit of handyman work. And so suddenly you're not known for anything in a very, you know, you, you haven't taken a hard line or a hard position. So you can actually see a lot of times like kitchen and bath specialists can perform very, very well because they become known as the experts at just that. And a lot of other benefits come along with that too, because you start to build efficiencies around how you sell the, that experience, how you deliver that experience. You can usually get faster in terms of timeline and all these other benefits. Um, But when somebody really goes to think about that service that you're offering, then the more things generally you tend to offer, then it starts to to dilute the brand. So I thought that was a really powerful uh, section. The other one is uh, the law of quality. And what they talk about there is they say, what seems so intuitively true in theory is not always so in practice. So building your brand on quality is like building your house on sand. You can build quality into your product, but it has little to do with your success in the marketplace. Quality, or rather the perception of quality, resides in the mind of the buyer. If you want to build a powerful brand, you have to build the powerful perception of quality in the mind. 
As it happens, the best way to build a quality perception in the mind is by following the laws of branding. Take the law of contraction. What happens when you narrow your focus? Again, becoming a specialist rather than a generalist. As a specialist, you're generally perceived to know more. In other words, to have a higher quality than a generalist. And this is where branding really, uh, I think, didn't make a lot of sense to me in the early years when I was getting into marketing and communications. And if you think about this idea of perception, it doesn't really matter what your quality is. It really matters what the perception is. So if somebody looks at a brand, they think, oh, Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, they have a certain perception of what that means. And so one of those companies, say Nike, they could say, well, our quality is the best. And maybe it actually is the best, but somebody's only going to buy it if their perception is that it's the best, they think it's the best, and that's what they're looking for is the best. And so it's really important that what you communicate is how somebody actually perceives your service and your product. Obviously, you want to have quality baked into what you're offering, but if you look at tons of websites out there. Everyone says they're high quality, but saying high quality doesn't allow somebody to necessarily feel it. You want to show it. You want them to experience that in some way. And so that's why, you know, we can start going down the the bunny trail talking about uh, videography and photos and the power of connecting that emotion and the the perception of quality when they can see it. Uh, And then when they actually experience, you want to back that up but you might not have to be the actual highest quality, but if you're perceived that way, then you'll still uh, dominate the marketplace. So I think that's just a fascinating concept to think about the way people perceive you. That's what really matters um, over what you actually are. All right, let's move to book number three. That was Growth Mindset. And this was a reread for me. I've read this in the past, but It's such a a powerful book and it's really influenced the way I've approached my life and our business here is adopting this mindset of a growth mindset. And so one of the initial quotes is not always the people who start out the smartest uh, are the ones who end up the smartest. And it's interesting because if you think about your school experience, whether that's elementary, junior high, high school, college, you typically think of grades and grades would equal smart you know so if you got straight a's you were smart and to some degree there's a connection there but you know you kind of get pigeonholed if you are either a straight a student or maybe you're flunking out then teachers start to kind of treat you or put you in that bucket and you can kind of get grooved in there for your entire experience and it's really not the case. If you think you can get better at math and you work at getting better at math, then you will get better at math. Maybe that's not your core strength. Maybe it's art, but you can still improve in that area. And so what the book uncovers is that a lot of people um, are stuck in a fixed mindset where they think, oh, I'm just not good at that. And the way to reframe it is saying, I'm just not good at that yet. And if you adopt that mentality of saying, hey, this isn't a strong point of mine, but I can improve in anything if I put in the work, then uh, it's been shown that you actually can. And there was an interesting section in the book where they talked about Mia Hamm, who's um, one of the greatest female soccer stars of her time. And 
she basically says it straight out all my life. I've been playing up, meaning I've challenged myself with players, older, bigger, more skillful, more experienced in short, basically they were better than her. And she played with her older brother. Then at 10, she joined the 11 year old boys team. Um, she threw herself into the number one college team in the U S and she said each day I attempted to play up to their level and she started to improve a lot faster. And what this kind of meant to me was, you know, how do we start playing up in business? And, you know, that could be getting a coach, a mentor, joining a mastermind, attending conferences, you know, learning from others. And it may mean hiring someone that has a skill that you don't, or maybe they're better in a certain area that, that you, um, you know, you haven't perfected yet. And so I really liked taking that concept of, of playing up. And I definitely had that experience pretty early on. I had some friends that had switched from skiing to snowboarding and then I was, I was wanting to get into snowboarding. It looked like a lot of fun and they were much better at that point. So the first few days I took some lessons just to make sure I could get down the mountain, you know, kind of figured out the basics. But then I pretty much immediately just said, Hey, I'm, I'm going with you guys. And then they would just start going down hills and I just had to keep up. Right. And so you just, you suddenly you're forced to accelerate your learning because you're pushing your limits as far as you can go. And so I really love that concept and thinking about how can you apply that in your business life and family life and in any area that you're trying to improve, but like go find the people that are one, two, three, four steps ahead of you and just try to hang with them, you know, and then you'll, you'll pick up tips. You'll pick up little uh, shortcuts. You'll learn different strategies at a, a much accelerated pace. So I really liked uh, that concept that came out of the book. She also talks about, uh, she said, people with the growth mindset, however, believe something very different. For them, even geniuses have to work hard for their achievements. They said, what's so heroic, they would say, about having a gift? They may appreciate endowment, but they admire effort. For no matter what your ability is, effort is what ignites that ability and turns it into accomplishment. And I think if you look across the board, you know, at top performers at any level, it could be in sports. Um, business, whatever it may be, most of those people may have a special talent. Um, but what they did was then they layered in work ethic and uh, and just a lot of grit, and they pushed at it to to really get the most out of it. And so, what you find generally is that people that are super smart, you know, or they have a certain skill, that will take them pretty far just on skill alone. And you can get to a certain level. And so early in life, you know, coming up through school and even just getting out of school a little bit, that can ride you to the top or like the top section of the pack, just skill alone. But then the work starts to, to be the separator. And so I really like having that mindset of, hey, if, if you're just willing to out effort people, you know, you can, you can generally win and you may not win in the short term, but you'll typically win in the long, uh, the long term. And so um, there's another quote, you know, are you putting in the effort to get better? And what does that look like for you? And, you know, for me, it's about, you know, staying healthy and I'm trying to play the long game here. So I typically work out four times a week. I track my macros. So that's carbs, fats, proteins. You know, I have a certain percentage that I'm aiming for on all those. I listen to audiobooks. I listen to podcasts when I'm driving and I'm at the gym. I read books. I attend conferences and I and then I work to apply the things I'm learning. So sometimes those things 
work out really, really well. And sometimes they don't, but I try to improve my effectiveness, you know, by delegating and prioritizing what I can do that has the most impact. And so what I've picked up over the years is just understanding, Hey, this is where I'm starting at this skill. And I'm just going to work to get better at that and thinking about what are the skills and what are the areas that are going to have the biggest impact on your life. So, you know, fitness is and health is a priority. What are the habits, the skills, the things you need to learn that are going to enable that? Or maybe uh, relationships, you know, family and friends is super important. You know, what are the skills and habits you need to develop there? Maybe it's building the habit of texting, uh, you know, five people a week, making sure you're staying in touch with them, or you give two people a call on your your commute to work, um, whatever that may be. But I, I think for me, it's always been, okay, what are the areas that are really important to me in my life? And then what are the skills that I can go out and learn? And then that will accelerate my progress in those areas. So love the growth mindset. That one, uh, I keep coming back to it and I keep getting more stuff out of it every time I go through it. Calling all builders and remodelers. It's that time of year. We're gathering data for our state of home builder and state of remodeler marketing reports. This will be the fourth annual state of builder marketing report and the second annual state of remodeler marketing report. Now, in exchange for five minutes of your time, we're giving away a $200 gift card for the winner, but everyone is getting some sweet bonuses after the completion of the survey. And we're also making it super easy to participate this year. So just text survey to 33777 and we'll send you the survey link right away. Again, we're doing a $200 prize for the winner and everyone that completes the survey gets some bonuses. So just text survey to 33777 and we'll send you the link. The final book is The Four Agreements. And I'm actually going to go through each of those uh, pretty briefly here, but they're this book is pretty incredible and I definitely recommend it. And that's part of the reason I wanted to close on this one. Uh, There's just some simple concepts, but the stories and the examples and the way he goes through these agreements um, are incredibly powerful. So the first one is be impeccable with your word. And he says, the word is the most powerful tool you have as a human. It's the tool of magic. But like a sword with two edges, your word can create the most beautiful dream or your word can destroy everything around you. We cast spells all the time with our opinions. An example, I see a friend and give him an opinion that just popped into my mind. I say, hmm, I see that kind of color in your face in people who are going to get cancer. If he listens to the word and if he agrees, he will have cancer in less than one year. That is the power of the word. Someone gives an opinion and says, look, this girl is ugly. The girl listens, believes she's ugly, and grows up with the idea that she is ugly. It doesn't matter how beautiful she is. As long as she has that agreement, she will believe that she is ugly. And that is the spell she is under. So you can measure the impeccability of your word by your level of self-love. And how much you love yourself and how you feel about yourself are directly proportionate to the quality and integrity of your word. When you are impeccable with your word, you feel good, you feel happy and at peace. And so he ends that section kind of talking about use white magic, beginning with yourself. Tell yourself how wonderful you are, how great you are, and how much you love yourself. And this one is super interesting to me because it's 
a lot of times it goes back to that perception thing. You know, if somebody tells you something, they kind of plant the seed in your mind and then it starts to take shape as reality. And so um, I have some, some daily affirmations that I run through personally every day and I read those and they're to affirm that I'm thinking about myself in the way that I want to be or something that I'm striving for the way I want to be acting. And uh, so when I read this, it, it really clicked with me. And I think if you think about some scenarios in your life where maybe somebody has um, planted something negative in your mind and you start to focus on it, it starts to uh, become reality. So pretty interesting. The next one is don't take anything personally. And this one, it, it goes both ways. So he says, hey, I don't take it personally when people say, hey, Miguel, you're the best. But he also doesn't take it personally when they say you're the worst. And so again, what somebody else says about you, they don't know your story. They don't know your life. They don't know what you're actually trying to do all the time. They don't know all the details. And so they're just saying something and that can impact you in a very negative way, but only if you accept it and only if you let it. And so somebody can say something and you can just brush it off and move on because you can be confident in who you are and what you're about. And so I really, really like that one. Um, I think it's hard to do. And especially, um, you know, it can be hard to put yourself out there on social media because we're afraid of what other people will say. Um, we want to be liked. It's human nature. But um, yeah, he talks about even the opinions you have about yourself are not necessarily true. So therefore, you don't need to take whatever you hear in your own mind personally. The mind has the ability to talk to itself, but it also has the ability to hear information that is available from other realms. And I like that as well because he's saying, hey, sometimes our mind just starts wandering off in crazy directions and you start giving yourself this self-talk and self-doubt. And uh, he says, hey, don't take that personally either. You know, that, that might not be necessarily true. The third one is don't make assumptions. So we have the tendency to make assumptions about everything. And the problem with making assumptions is that we believe they're the truth. We could swear they're real. And so we make assumptions about what others are doing or they're thinking and we take it personally. And then we blame them and react by sending emotional poison with our word. And that is why whenever we make assumptions, we're asking for problems. We make an assumption, we misunderstand, we take it personally and we end up creating a whole big drama for nothing. So I like that one. Don't assume. And then we'll close with always do your best. And he expands on a couple of points here that are powerful, but he says, just do your best in any circumstance in your life. It doesn't matter if you're sick or tired. If you always do your best, there's no way you can judge yourself. And he has this story, which I think is awesome. So I'm just going to read that. There was a man who wanted to transcend his suffering. So he went to a Buddhist temple to find a master to help him. He went to the master and asked, master, if I meditate four hours a day, how long will it take me to transcend? So the master looked at him and said, if you meditate four hours a day, perhaps you will transcend in 10 years. So thinking he could do it better, the man said, oh, master, what if I meditated eight hours a day? How long will it take me to transcend? And the master looked at him and said, if you meditate eight hours a day, perhaps you will transcend in 20 years. Hey, why will it take me longer if I meditate more? The man asked. And the master replied, you're not here to sacrifice your joy or your life. You're here to live, to be happy and to love. If you can do your best in two hours of meditation, but you spend eight hours instead, you will only grow tired, miss the point, and you won't enjoy your life. Do your best and perhaps you will learn 
that no matter how long you meditate, you can live, love, and be happy. So if you can do your best always, over and over again, you will become a master of transformation. Practice makes the master. By doing your best, you become a master. Everything you have ever learned, you learn through repetition. You learn to write, to drive, and even to walk by repetition. You are a master of speaking your language because you practice. Action is what makes the difference. And I like the concept of doing your best no matter what the circumstance, because it gives you a little bit of peace of mind saying like, maybe you're at the end of a long day, you're super tired and you still have to do something. If you just put in your best effort in that moment with however tired you are and whatever you're feeling, then you can still feel good about that. Maybe the next day, if you're doing the same thing, you do it better, you have more energy, whatever it is, that's okay. The reality is you were tired and in that moment, it's important to do your best because in those moments, you may not blow up at somebody or react negatively or do something like that. Whereas if you just do your best, maybe it just avoids you hitting you know, some negative things and going down a path that, that you don't want to. So uh, I really like that concept. And then I like that final parting word, which is action is what makes the difference. And so if you're doing your best, you're acting. And if you're, again, going back to some of the other things we talked about, learning take that learning, put it into action and, and follow through with your best effort. So those were four books that stood out to me this year. There were a bunch of other good ones I read, but I thought those kind of were fairly diverse in terms of subject matter, but they all kind of draw their own connections as well. And so um, hope those uh, inspired you guys to think about a few things in a different way. Um, I'll definitely link those books up in the show notes as well. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Again, that was episode 70 and I would love to get your feedback on this style of an episode. This was a little bit different than usual, but I want to hear from you. Was it helpful to get some new ideas to hear about some books that we're reading as a team or I'm reading personally? And also if you've read any of these, I would love to hear what your thoughts are as well. Uh, Again, I know you're on the go. And so typical action items are to do a couple of things. But I think for this instance, what I want to do is just link these books up in the show notes. So if you want to dive a little bit deeper, you've got an easy access to them. We'll be sending out an email as well. So you can pick up those books and head into 2020 strong. So thanks again for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening, everybody. And as a quick reminder, text RADIO to 33777 for some free goodies as a thank you for listening to the show. And if you got some value from today's episode, I just ask that you leave us a quick review on iTunes. It really helps us spread the word and grow this awesome community of people who are working to improve their lives and their businesses. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio.